Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mind. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn. Good morning and welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990, where we'll help you focus on your financial future. We have got a great show for you today. Rusty Leonard, who is a chartered financial analyst, is going to be talking to us about everything that's going on in the global economy. Uh, A lot of stuff going on overseas, obviously a lot of stuff going on here at home. Uh, I'm Keith Quinn. I'm here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9. Jim, I've got a number for you. We talk a lot about numbers. Now, here's a number, and it's really important, 18. I'll even give you a clue. 18 days. Oh, 18 days. Okay. 18 at first. 18 I is a, that was the legal legal age so the people could go do some <laughs> things they shouldn't be doing. But no. Which is eight, true. 18, 18 days. That's 18 days till vote. 18 vote days till the, the election. You know, that's a, that's kind of a good thing to think about. I mean, I just noticed it's, we got early voting now. Right. And uh, I plan on doing my early voting today or tomorrow because I am not going to fight the lines. I like early voting. And uh, I think there's a lot of things. You know, the thing about it is uh, one of the statistics that we look at, 36. 7.8% of the U.S. voting age, that's literally just a little bit over one out of three, Wow! actually voted in the 2010 midterm elections. And, uh, you know, it's uh, we got that coming up, 18 days, as you say. So right. the reality is, um, hey, do the early voting, avoid the rush. Avoid the rush. Uh, and I was pretty pleased with the 2010 midterm, so if we can kind of keep that going. Well, you know, again, if you think about, you know, the idea of what goes on and, you know, the, the thought, if you've got... The reality of, you know, voting. I mean, we do. We were just talking about that with uh, some of the European countries and right. how we vote and how we are willing to. Sometimes our voting is how we take a stand on something and how we change things and how we make things happen. I thought that was interesting. We were talking about that when we vote. We do. We expect change. I mean, we are voting to, because we uh, believe in something. And I think you'd said a lot of the Europeans kind of don't really look at it that way. No, they don't. They uh, <laughs> that's a little bit of that socialism. It really that, uh, is. You get can that get, can get very frustrating uh, and get uh, almost a degree of apathy. But uh, I would hate for us to think that change isn't possible. Oh my goodness! Speaking of change, sir, we've had some change in the market. Uh, some big swings up and down. In fact. Uh, the S&P has experienced four consecutive days of total return, return gains and losses of at least 1%. That's through last Friday. So you can throw in Monday. Monday. That <laughs> gives us five days. Yeah. So five days. <laughs> and uh, that's the most volatility for the stock index since it had, gave, it had five straight days of 1% changes from 823 of 11 to 829 of 11. That's right. And, you know, we've always talked about a, a technical correction being at 10%. And we didn't get there, but we got down pretty close. And then the market kind of evened out a little bit. Now we've had, you know, we're looking at the futures and well, the way futures up. Well, futures are up way up today. I mean, we'll hear more about that, about 180 right now. But uh, 
You know, I think here's the thought for you. And, and this is kind of that mindset. And with Rusty Leonard coming on in a few minutes, right. this is perfect. Because if you go back to the 12th year anniversary, just recently, 12 years, you remember what was going on 12 years ago? This is, you know, back that was in 2002, 2002. It was the low point in the, when they're in the bear market of U.S. stocks. It was this was basically all of, on the at the close of business on Wednesday of August of, night of 2002. August the 9th of 2002, the S&B bottomed at 777. That's we ought to number. be able to remember that one, 777. 777, and that's a fall of 49% over 30 and a half years. Now, that was near 9-11. That, really, that yeah, was the right. longest recession, longest bear market that I can remember in my 40 years of doing this. And the reality is we were suffering through a lot. I mean, really, terribly so. And so all of a sudden... At that bottom, but again, the next day, a five-year bull market run. It closed at 1565 on December the 9th, 2007. That's a 101% return gain. Right. Okay, we hit the bottom and, and ran up 101%. Now, here's the point that's kind of ironic. <laughs> this is the part that I think everybody needs to listen to. Really needs to listen to. Because if you look at the business section, the headline of the USA Today on 1010. Now that's so the, the day after. The day after the bottom. Here's what it said. Where's the bottom? <laughs> no end in sight. That's right. And you know, and that's what we tell everybody. This is a volatile market it right is. now. Turn off the television. Turn off. The, don't turn off the radio. I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just listen to the radio. <laughs> just, get good listen, advice. just listen to this radio program. <laughs> but the reality is, I mean, we get caught up. Here's you read. I mean, you're trusted USA Today and they write a great headline. Where's the bottom? And the key was no end, no end in sight. sight. And, boy, that that tells us what we got, got going on. And with the S&P 500 at 777, it is hard to be optimistic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, after having that much absolutely. of a drop that quickly, that quickly, it's really hard. You get that whole thing we talk about with this emotional cycle of investing, that recency bias. You think it's only going to keep going down, but you've got to maintain that fundamental belief in the long-term growth prospects of this great country. Well, we've got a lot going on. By the way, Abigail Johnson. Abigail Johnson, I know that's a good personal friend of yours, right? Uh, Sure. She is the daughter of Edward Johnson III, and she has just been named the next CEO for Fidelity Investments. And by the way, that puts that lady, she now ranks as the highest-ranking woman in the $12 trillion mutual fund industry. That's a big job and a big that's position a for big her. big position for her. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Go, Absolutely. I, mean, that's I hope she does great. I hope she does, too. Yeah. Very important for that kind of person. It really is. Her, especially with Fidelity. <laughs> and, but she's been trained well. She, she mean, has you been. Know, she's been positioned. This is not unexpected. Everybody right. was expecting this to happen. So very strong. Very strong. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Of course, you can always listen to us in one of four ways. Either go onto the radio, listen to us at AM 990, go onto the Internet, search for our homepage, kwam990.com, and click on Watch and Listen Live. Uh, You can also go to the App Store, search for our free mobile app, kwam990, download the app, and listen to us on your mobile device. Or finally now, you can go to iTunes, search for Shoemaker Financial and Talk Money. 
and download one of our podcasts and listen to us at your leisure. Uh, we've got a great show for you. Rusty Leonard is coming up. He's got a, some great insights. We're going to be talking a lot about everything that's going on from Ebola to the market to industrial production in Germany. Uh, and then we're going to have Renee Victory, who's going to come in and talk a little bit about the MBA program. Uh, in the Germantown campus of Union University. And, of course, this segment of our program is sponsored by the MBA program of Union University, and we're very pleased to have them as a sponsor. Let's go quickly to traffic and weather, see what's happening in New York before the bell, but stick around, and we will be right back. Are you looking for an edge in the workplace? Find out about an MBA from Union University, Germantown. Union is the only private school in the Mid-South with an AACSB accreditation, a credential found at only 5% of the world's business schools. Union's affordable MBA program combines Christ-centered academic excellence with small classes one night per week. Accelerated and online options are also available. Call Union University, Germantown today at 901-312-1920. That's 901-312-1920. Thank you for joining us here on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. We have got Rusty Leonard coming up. Rusty, uh, Jim, I'm looking forward to speaking with Rusty about everything that's going on globally. He's has got such a great global perspective, and it really has been kind of a, a, some global issues. Well, there has been some global issues. You know, in 2014, already this year, I mean, things have been kind of rocking along pretty good. We've kind of lulled ourselves into this mindset. And, Rusty, you know, welcome to the program, sir. I want to ask you a question, okay? Sure. All right. I mean, and I did a terrible job of introducing well, Rusty. No, Rusty's Rusty. a charter financial analyst, yeah, yeah, CEO, yeah, and founder of Stewardship a regular Partners. Guest, and a know. regular guest and a good guy. And a very good guy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> we read just exactly what his mother said read, right? That's right. <laughs> Rusty, you know, and seriously, though, the reality is you are a, a frequent guest with us, and you do a great job of bringing some of the things, I think, that go on in the economy, whether it's globally or domestically or what. But you really do help us get a good insight, and our listeners always appreciate the fact that you take the complexity and make it simple for us to understand it. I really want to talk about everything had been kind of rocking along. I mean, we've almost, for 2013 and through the first half of this year, now, you know, maybe we look back at January and February, there was some volatility there, but that settled relatively quick right. and moved on. And now all of a sudden we're here in this, you know, late part of September and so far in October, the market's got kind of, I think using a word Rusty would use, rattled a little bit, kind of a a concerning thing. Is Rusty, is this seasonal weakness in the markets, is this just what happens in the fall of the year or is something else kind of going through this process? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, It's uh, in this case, you know, well, just for a little perspective, uh, if you looked at kind of the average of the S&P 500 and tracked it, tracked it uh, on a daily basis throughout the year, and you did that between now and 1950 and took an average of all that, you'd find out that on average, the market tends to peak out each year on September the 19th and, and then bottoms on October the 26th. And so there is a seasonal factor uh, that just always kicks in, and nobody quite understands why or what that's all about. But sure enough, the market peaked out on September the 19th after the Alibaba, the biggest IPO in history, Alibaba, the Chinese internet company, and uh, and you know it, maybe it's bottoming uh, yesterday, maybe it bottomed yesterday, or the day before. Let's uh, let's hope that uh, that's the case. Yep. But uh, there's also been some concerns, global growth in particular, where we've seen Europe. Uh, kind of looking like it's going into a, a triple dip recession, 
and also worries about Japan doing the same. Some of the emerging markets like Russia and Brazil are suffering growth issues. And of course, there's always the big China factor, which uh, is out there where the growth is definitely slowing there. It's just a question of how much and how fast. You know, again, when you talk about that, I mean, we look at this global economy. The U.S. dollar right now is as strong as I can remember. And, you know, I, I hear people talking about that, Keith, where they, right. you know, they say, oh, man, the dollar is strong. And that, I mean, everybody gets kind of rallied behind that. But that's not always good, no. especially for our exports when we're trying to, you know, equalize exports and imports. But, you know, here's the dollar strong. On the other hand, you've got oil and other commodity prices have just been crushed, slaughtered. I mean, just really, we've seen that in our own. Interest rates are doing not what everybody expected. They're falling. You know, kind of rusty, let me, let me help help us with this. Is what, what do you see here, and what do you see the Fed doing with this? I mean, you can talk about QE3 there, but what's all this dollar in, in the down in the commodities? What is that really meaning to us? I think there's uh, two things going on. One is that the U.S. economy is the strongest major economy in the world by far. We are moving in the right direction. And I'm sure a lot of uh, of your listeners, you know, hearing about the market falling and looking around and look, you know, just kind of getting a sense of what the economy is like, are saying, "Well, why is the why is the economy you know, why is the market falling? The economy seems to be doing just fine, and it is doing just fine here in the U.S. But it is weakening outside of the U.S. So that's causing investors to say, you know, if I have to you know, have my wealth in any particular currency, I want it in dollars right now because that's where things are happening. That's where it's going on right now, and it's not going on anywhere else. So they're kind of fleeing to the dollar for, for safety reasons because their own currencies aren't looking so hot. So that's the, the main reason for the dollar being strong. But that, in turn, when the dollar is strong, it causes those commodity prices to be weak. Uh, and there's also the, the weakness in Chinese growth in particular that's impacting that. So because of the way... Wall Street trades the different uh, asset classes. Uh, when the dollar is strong, commodities typically are weak. And so that's a uh, they're just tied together. And the movements, the big concern that I have is that the movements in all these things have been so rapid, so fast, that I'm really concerned, and I think this is what caused the market to sell off more than anything else, was there was concern that Wall Street, various institutions who trade rapidly on all kinds of things and use a whole lot of debt, and leverage to accomplish their trading, that somehow Wall Street was going to break. There was going to be some uh, hedge fund or some other financial institution that would uh, have taken a bet one way or the other and gotten burned on these you know, very rapid moves in asset prices, whether it be the currencies or the commodities or the stocks or the bonds. And I think that was one of the main concerns we've had here in the last couple of weeks, that somebody on Wall Street was going to break and cause a, a greater financial system problem. I've heard that, actually, where that seems to be a little bit of that the, the news media pushes that a little bit and creates a little bit of that fear. I, I, we've heard some of that. I guess, Rusty and, and, and Keith, we talk about this all the time. We've been anticipating this QE3 program to finally phase out as the economy begins to heat up, and that indicates interest rates will be rising in the first or second quarter of next year. And yet we actually heard yesterday that that might not be the case, and yet the U.S. economy seems to be chugging along pretty good, and finally maybe QE will go away. What does that tell us, Rusty? I mean, from our, from our, our listener standpoint, if, if we could try to say if QE goes away – is that going to be the big bell that tells us, hey, you got to move, you got to change, you can't be in bonds because interest rates are going to take off? How would you help us position ourselves? Well, first of all, I think uh, QE has been going away, and it's almost gone anyway. Exactly. Uh, I think that's more of a, I think that's more of a psychological uh, 
reaction by the market that finally the Fed is out of the business of buying bonds. Um, so I think that's not uh, in reality, in actual fact, I don't think that's as big a deal as it's being made out to be. But psychologically, it is something that's impacting the markets. And I say it's been going away for a while because the Fed started gradually reducing QE a better part of a year ago, right. and it's almost over at this stage of the game. So that's going to end at the end of this. In fact, in a matter of days, it'll be uh, it'll cease. And so, uh, so the markets are kind of fretting about that. But I think that's irrational and, and not something that uh, one has to worry about. Uh, the Fed may be back in the QE game, as you as you uh, alluded, alluded <laughs> to yesterday. One of the Fed uh, board members said that we may continue with the QE or may have to ramp it back up again because of this weakness overseas and how that might impact the U.S. economy. And that the real concern that they have is deflation. You know, we've talked a lot over the years on this program about concerns about our clients and listeners have about inflation and the weakness in the dollar. And what we're getting is just the opposite, as we've talked about as being a bigger risk. I know I've said in the past that I'm more concerned about deflation than inflation. And now we're seeing that play out, particularly in Europe. And so uh, deflation is something that uh, is feared even more so than inflation in many many ways by central bankers and by, by the Fed. And so they will uh, they'll bring out the big guns that, you know, that they can to fight off any kind of deflationary influences. And so that's really what uh, caused that Fed governor to say that is deflation that's emanating from Europe and China and Japan and maybe impacting the U.S. All around the world, inflation is, is moving closer and closer to zero. Well, Rossi, I wanted to ask you one more question about Europe before we move out that. And you were talking about the, you know, the numbers that are coming out indicating slower growth. And we've talked about the differences in Europe, the difference in the different company, uh, countries, the difference between Northern Europe and Southern Europe. And I think one of the things that concerned a lot of, uh, certainly a lot of investors, it seemed like, uh, was the fact that this weakness was coming out of Germany, what we consider to be the strongest economy in Europe. And of course, they had negative GDP growth last quarter, could potentially fall into the technical definition of a recession based on this industrial production number, which is down about 4% the worst number in over five years. Right, yeah. uh, is that, you know, is that a legitimate concern or is that something that you think uh, won't, uh, you know, basically pull down the European Union and impact ultimately profits here, which would go to corporate share prices? Yeah, it's definitely a legitimate concern. Uh, Germany has been, you know, the, the bulwark of, uh, of Europe while the rest of Europe is kind of dogging it. They've been uh, cruising along. Now, all of a sudden, they're falling off the cliff. And a lot of that has to do with China's own growth slow down because they export a lot to China. It's a very export-oriented economy. So, yeah, that's a, that's a definite concern, and that's one of the reasons why we're worried about this deflation. And uh, just this morning, I don't know if you guys have heard, there's been some rumors that the uh, European Central Bank will be you know, getting into the QE game and going out there and pushing up their markets as best they can, at least on the, on the fixed income side. It usually rolls over into equities as well. And so that's one of the reasons why the futures this morning are looking positive. Because uh, the ECB, which has been very reluctant to do QE, uh, has now indicated that maybe they're going to move faster in that direction to fight off these, this weakness in Germany uh, that is impacting all of Europe. But go ahead. Go well, ahead. the other thing about the ECB is they don't seem to be quite as forthcoming as the Fed. They're like, we're going to start asset purchases within the next couple of days. Well, but, Rusty, they, I don't they, think they've, they've said heard, a number. They've they? actually said that before and, <laughs> and kind of, you know, it's kind of like they 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 toss it out as a teaser. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, and they get a reaction that's positive. But, but Rusty, I mean, is is this a teaser or can we kind of say maybe maybe they're going to really begin to do something? I mean, we don't know. I mean, we're all speculating. But what's your thoughts? I mean, Germany, obviously Germany, as you said, the bulwark, that's really critical. And so this may be the triggering event that causes them to do something. Is that thought? Yeah, I think I think so. And, I, you know, there's also 
uh, indications that, you know, I've talked about something may break in the system. You know, whenever there's stress in the system, the weak links break. Right. Well, apparently apparently Greece is on the, on the verge of breaking again, so that's going to get their attention real fast. And the reluctant uh, central bankers over there in, in Europe, as they have been, and it's been to their own, uh, you know, it's caused problems for them. The U.S. has greatly outperformed uh, Europe because we've our central bankers have apparently taken the right choice, at least in the short run, to implement the QE and the other programs that they have, whereas the ECB has been the reluctant central bankers. They don't want to help their economy, and you know, you're left scratching your head, but it leads down to a path where they get to the edge of a crisis like where they are right now. So my guess is that this is no – they're not trying to fake you out here, Jim. They are going to do uh, something, and they may do more than uh, we would have uh, guessed, the market would have guessed, because they're facing a pretty serious situation, and they don't want to – they don't want to become like Japan has been for the last quarter century or 30 years or so. Japan, back in the late 80s, uh, started you know, going from a high-growth economy to a, a no-growth economy, and uh, they've been in a deflationary spiral ever since, which has not been good for that nation and has seen their economic uh, growth wane dramatically over that time. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. I think they're, they don't want to be Japanified, and so they're probably going to uh, turn from reluctant central bankers into kind of aggressive central bankers somewhere along the line here. And we may have had the first indication of that today. I think that's a great way to look at it, that we've been pushing them further and further back into that corner, and finally their back's up against the wall, and they may have to actually do something. Well, Japanified. I like that. That's a good way to look at it. You know, if they if you just tuned in, of course, we're talking with Rusty Leonard, a CFA, with Stewardship Partners, a good friend. He's the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. When we come back, what I'd like to do, I want to talk about Ebola. I want to talk about ISIS and and really, Rusty. I'd like for you to give us that thirty second idea of what Stewardship Partners is all about, too. Because I mean, we, it's such a trusted advisor, such a anyway, lots of experience. And uh, so, I mean, Ebola and ISIS. What does he think about that? Ebola, and, ISIS, and just as a general note, I would like to everyone to go to our Facebook page, like us on Facebook. I think that's great. Like us on Facebook, but there's a reason I'm saying that. So if you want to ask a question on the show, comment on our status on our Facebook page. And we will try to answer that question while we're on the air. And if we don't get it on the air, we'll get to it next week. Next week. But that's a way we're trying where we can get real-time questions in so we can address any questions that you may have. So please go. take advantage of that. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. But now let's go to Charles Osgood and the Osgood File. Stick around. We'll be right back with Rusty Leonard to talk about ISIS, Ebola, and all things scary. <laughs> Welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. We're speaking with Rusty Leonard of Stewardship Partners. You've been talking about Ebola a lot, so let's... Why don't you ask Rusty your questions? Well, I, you know, I've got a lot of questions about Ebola. Number one, Rusty, you know, how do you think this is going to, is this going to potentially impact the markets? Of course, that's what we're primarily focused on. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the administration's response and how you think we're dealing with the Ebola crisis. Well, let's take the last one first there. And, uh, you know, obviously the whole country can see right in front of its face that this response has been childish almost. It's like you, you just use common sense and get get moving. And uh, this has been something that's been brewing for quite a long period of time, and a lot more could have been done to uh, stem the tide, not only here in this country, which is still really quite minimal, but uh, over in Africa too. But they, they really just sat on their hands and didn't do anything. So the response has been uh, you know, hideous. That's probably the best word for it. Well, Rusty, help our listeners understand why we have not put a travel ban in place, banning flights coming from these West African countries into the United States. 
you must think I'm smarter than I am. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, that's pretty simple. Yeah, there's just no explanation. It's common sense. Uh, It's hard to understand what they must, what they're thinking, or what the politics of it must be. I suspect mainly it's political, in that uh, they're trying to keep, you know, from the political perspective, try to keep the Ebola situation uh, contained in a in the mindset of the public, so that they don't factor that into their election decisions, and, and so they're trying to try to pretend like it was uh, nothing, and finally it's overwhelmed them, and they've got to do something. But I mean, that's just horrible if that's the case. But it's about the only reasonable explanation anybody can come up with, I think. I love to try and follow the logic on this, Jim. And if you walk some, uh, watch some of the press conferences at the White House when they try and say that to stop the spread of Ebola, uh, we have to allow people to spread Ebola is basically, I think, yeah. the premise of, of allowing them to come into the United States on flights. It's unbelievable. Well, yeah, I, you know, there's a lot to it. But I guess is, is is this affecting the market? I mean, is some of this reaction, is some of this, you know, the you mentioned earlier the rattling of the market, is Ebola and ISIS part of that? Absolutely. Uh, again, I think it's mostly psychological, but the concern already has been global growth. And when you throw Ebola on top of that, where leadership is just laying down and getting rolled over by, by the disease, essentially not doing anything, the markets are concerned that all of a sudden this thing that shouldn't be a problem uh, for the global economy will be a problem for the global economy, and that you will eventually have to put in place these uh, travel restrictions on a much broader scale than you would have if, if you had started initially, and that that could be another drag on global growth as people stop traveling businesses stop traveling uh, and just you know, there's an overall drop in spending and people kind of hunker down under a uh, the threat of Ebola, right. even though that's probably never going to be the case here in the, in the Western world where we have uh, health care institutions that will be able to probably slow any kind of uh, breakout of Ebola very quickly. Uh, it's still something that can impact the market just because of the fear of it. Well, and I think one of the things it illustrates is, is not that, you know, people think that the government is lying, but that they just have this mistrust of the government's competence to deal with this issue. I mean, when you think about the president basically saying, you know, trust us on this. Now, let's think about this. He said an Internet video caused the Benghazi attack. You know, <laughs> trust us. Not a smidgen of corruption. Not a smidgen of corruption at the IRS. You know, trust us. If you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. Trust us. Oh. Ebola can't mutate. It won't go airborne. Trust us. You know, there's not going to be an outbreak in the United States. Trust us. I got us. him started. We got, you know, I got to close him down. Well, it's one of those things. I think just being upfront and honest with the American people, we don't know that well, much about Ebola. You know, it does mutate. It's a virus. I mean, it does mutate. I mean, ISIS is a similar problem. And the, the concern here is, is maybe we don't have, and Rusty, you kind of alluded to it, a little bit of the leadership needed uh, if we do have a crisis. Do you see this thing with ISIS as continuing to be a global problem? Well, uh, the big risk is that they somehow get a, a hold of, from an economic perspective, there's terrible, terrible risks for individuals who are living there, and I'm receiving prayer requests from people who oh, live absolutely. in that area you know, yeah, being overrun. But in terms of global economics, there's, uh, you know, the big risk is the southern oil fields in Iraq, uh, or if they get into Jordan and other places, start invading other places. Um, I don't think that that's going to turn – you know, come to pass anytime soon, but it certainly is not something you can write off. Uh, and I think, again, we will no doubt see there's a very high probability that there will be boots on the ground, uh, whether they're U.S. boots or somebody else's boots, I'm not quite sure, but there will have to be at some point in time if we're going to actually effectively deal with these guys. And uh, so, yes, that remains a, a risk that's kind of a, an outside risk, but it's one that could blow up very quickly into a, you know, a very present risk. 
And so you have to be, you know, it's kind of one of those tail risk events where, you know, it's not a high probability that it happens, but if it does happen, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So, yeah. so we got to keep a close eye on it. Yeah. And our response has been relatively muted. I mean, 53 airstrikes, I think, over the yeah. past three days in the big scheme of things is minuscule. Well, let me ask you this. Since 1950, let me read you this statistic, and then I want your insight. There's been just six calendar years when a Democrat was the white, it was in the White House, and Republicans controlled both the House and the Senate. The average total return of the S&P 500 during those six years was a gain of 21% per year. Ah, so, Rusty, what do you, <laughs> what, what do you think about the elections coming up? Well, I sure hope all your listeners will go out and vote Republican. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but uh, the, I think that there's a very, you know, obviously that's the way it's going to go. Uh, there's no question that unless something happens between now and, and uh, November the 4th, it's a very high probability that the um, you'll see the Republicans regain control of the Senate. Uh, I'm not sure that we can count on those statistics uh, that you've seen with this particular president in place. I don't know what uh, posture he will take. Uh, if, if this indeed turns out to be the case where the Republicans control the Senate and the House and he's still the president. Uh, in the past, most folks are, you know, trying to compromise and get things done. I'm just not sure if this president's going to go that path. And um, so it's, it's, you know, I wouldn't want to bet on those stats, even though I want to keep them in mind and uh, kind of be biased towards them, but not heavily bet until we see exactly how the president, uh, how he positions himself. Now, you can bet right after the election he'll position himself in a accommodative fashion, but we'll have to see. The proof is in the pudding. We'll have to see what he actually does. I think he's going to go far, far left. <laughs> I think there's a risk in that. <laughs> you know, you get him started, Rusty, and I, I can't control him when he, you know, I just have to take the mic away yeah. from him, you know. <laughs> but that's good. Well, you know, I guess uh, the, the main thing is that usually the financial markets end in a pretty strong, you know, November and December looks pretty good. Do you feel like that this is, uh, we got the same possibility for November, December to be a recovery from September and October? I mean, you think it's going to be a mob? You know, what's going to take to get us back into a positive mood? Well, I think what you're seeing is, is what it's going to take has already started to happen. So today you've had the ECB kind of hint that they're going to do the QE faster and maybe harder. Uh, you've had a Fed governor say, well, maybe we'll continue with the QE or maybe we'll increase it uh, instead of ending it. Uh, you've seen uh, this morning uh, there's news about the Chinese making another injection of capital into their banking system in order to prevent some kind of uh, calamity occurring there. So you're seeing policymakers in all the various places where things are going badly uh, responding in order to calm the markets. And so if that continues and if the markets, uh, if we're able to avoid some kind of financial uh, system breakdown, you know, the weak link, as I mentioned earlier, kind of breaking under stress, if that can be avoided, then I think there's very good reason for the markets to recover. And uh, there'll be some concern going forward about this global growth. But sooner or later, the market will settle down and realize that global growth may be going from 4% a year down to 3 but it's still growing. It's still heading in the right direction. And uh, once that you know, once that gets focused on, people will calm down and say, well, gosh, i got to put this cash someplace, and stocks uh, uh, will be the best place probably for that to go. So I suspect the equity market will do well. The bond market will probably get hit uh, because it's done well during the, this little mini sell-off we've had. Right. I think that'll be normal as well. And so bonds will probably not do as well uh, in the short term in that rally. But stocks probably will have a good year in rally. But there are there are a lot of those tail risks. Like I said, there's a lot of things hanging out there uh, like Ebola and ISIS and just financial market you know breakdowns that uh, and Greece and things of that nature that um, you know could undermine uh, that recovery. So you got to keep your eyes open. 
Jim, I love that perspective. And Rusty, thank you so much. I mean, that, you know, lets you know that there are risks out there, but if you keep that long-term perspective, you know, the economies are growing. They're slowing down a little bit. You see patches of, of problems, you know, whether it's Ebola or ISIS or growth out of Germany, but the long-term trend is and always has been you up. You know, and, and Rusty always gives us a good Great perspective. perspective. And then the domestic side also, and... Um so, and I appreciate him so much. And, Ru- and Rusty, we didn't get a chance this time to really get into a little bit about stewardship partners. We we got carried, a little carried away on some other things, sir. And then, then Sorry. There's only a few little things to talk about here. Yeah, that's right. But I, I really, next time we have you on, which, again, everybody knows Rusty Leonard's a frequent guest with us, always does a great job. I'd like to really dive into a little bit about I'd love that. stewardship that would be great. partners because I know what he does and does a great job with it. So, you take us from here. Thank you, Rusty. Rusty, appreciate thank you, man. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from 8 to 9 on AM 990, the voice of Memphis. Stick around. We are going to be talking with Renee Victory from the MBA department of Union University, Germantown campus, and a former student, Landon Mills, who is a financial advisor here at Shoemaker Financial. All right, now let's take a quick break. Go to Rebecca Brazier for a Mid-South History moment, but stick around and we will be right back. Views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Thank you for joining us here on Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn here with Jim Shoemaker. We are speaking with Renee Victory from the MBA Department of Union University Germantown campus. Renee, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me here this morning. You know, Renee is uh, not only a beautiful lady, but works for a great organization and uh, and does a wonderful job as far as as promoting the Union University, the Master of Business Administration program. And, of course, we have Landon Mills with us today, who is a graduate of the MBA program also, and he is in our office. And Landon, I want to get some perspective from you as we go through this. But uh, let's start Let's start with Renee, because I think, Renee, we're talking about you have campuses in Germantown, Hendersonville, Jackson, Tennessee, obviously is the, the main campus. But for our listeners, some people may not know, but Union University has been around a long time. This is not a brand-new little school. Oh, yes. We've been out around quite some time. Most people, of course, are most familiar with our Jackson campus that is the traditional campus that serves the 18 to 22-year-olds in addition to some graduate programs. But here in our Germantown and Memphis area, we serve a variety of, uh, I guess, the non-traditional students from, let's see, we offer undergraduate programs in organizational leadership, social work, Christian studies and nursing, and then graduate program offerings, business administration, education, social work, Christian studies, and also nursing. And, you know, what I think, Keith, is that so many people think, well, if I'm in business, I need to get my MBA. Right. And so they're, they're the, the thought is, you know, that's a natural thing. But, Renee, really what's going on is you've got people from all different types of walks of life and different careers and coming in to get that MBA. 
Right, exactly. We're we're very different than what I would say the traditional uh, MBA program where you've got the kids that have just gotten out of college, 22-year-olds that are brand new without any professional experience. They didn't get a job, so right. they decided Ex- to go home. And Ex- that's okay. I'm that's not knocking right. there. Right. And, and, under, is, and under certain circumstances, sure. we do allow young people in. However, we are designed more like an executive-style MBA designed for working professionals and I, one of the most surprising elements to me was the fact that we attract people from all different backgrounds in addition to the business backgrounds. We've got attorneys, pharmacists, engineers, computer scientists, and even some medical doctors in our program. That's the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, Renee. So uh, and I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, I, I'm a former practicing attorney. So if I'm an attorney, you know, that's my job. I'm an attorney. Why on earth do I need an MBA? I think everybody is realizing the need for some business knowledge, no matter what their field of study is. I, I think more and more we're realizing that you can't, you can't go wrong with some business knowledge, especially in these changing times. Well, that's so absolutely true. And, I mean, and very important. One of the biggest issues, I mean, you've got to think about all the different things that a business leader today has to go through. Just the strategic thinking process is so critical. Just out of how do you I know with Kevin, when we have Kevin, Dr. Westbrook, on the show, he, I mean, he is, you know, you can tell that he is teaching the practical side of what they're going to take from the classroom and go immediately into their work environment and, and put into place. And that is so critical for so critical. many people. This is not just academics. It's taking practical practical information and applying it to the day-to-day. I know that you guys, Union University's MBA program is AACSB certified or it's a national accredited, I guess. It's the Association of Advanced College Schools of Business. Now, that to me, it, it speaks volumes because I know that you happen to be the only private school in this in the West Tennessee area to, to attain, and it's kind of a gold standard. So explain that to us so that our listening audience can understand this is not just a fly-by-night MBA program. You guys had to jump through some hoops to get that. Oh, yes. There were quite quite a number of hoops indeed. There are, of course, academic standards for our faculty members to have in order to, to teach in an AACSB accreditation school. And in addition to that, they have sub- certain publishing requirements that keeps them relevant in their field. So that's an important element. It was approximately a 10-year process, so it was... It was a really big deal. There are other accreditations with sort of similar initials, but the AACSB is, like you, like you said, the gold standard. It's the same one that Harvard, Yale have got. It designates us in the top 5% of business schools in the world. So it's it's pretty well respected. So it carries a little bit more weight than a diploma from some school in the Caribbean, perhaps. Uh, just a tad. <laughs> I, would, I would say so. <laughs> just a tad. Well, you know, let's take a, a break. But when we come back, I want to talk to Landon a little bit about it, too. But I just met your new president, by the way, and uh, very impressed with him. And, boy, I mean, from uh, Texas. And uh, I know the the legacy that was left with Dr. Dockery was just unbelievable. He had been there, I mean, just a prolific writer, great leader, uh, huge. We'll talk a little bit about your new president maybe coming in. Uh, Dr. Jeb Oliver, he just seems beyond amazing on the few times that I've been around him. His his, abil- his ability to get to know all of the faculty, staff members, and students in such a short period of time has been probably the most impressive. Yeah. He's, he's a genuinely yeah. he's real. He's, Very real, mm-hmm. and uh, I just appreciated his testimony, his his. his I mean, his biblical bait. I mean, obviously, I, what I heard from him was that unions about education, but it's about faith based. It's about staying true 
to unions' vision and the union's values of excellence-driven, excellence-driven, Christ-centered, people-focused, and future-directed. That's so powerful. That's uh, you know, uh, maybe that's why we hired Lyndon. Is he had all that? Well, I think that must be part of the reason. What does look? Maybe it was the union MBA. <laughs> I think that's what it was. That was what tipped the scale. The union MBA. There you go. I am Keith Quitt here with Jim Shoemaker every Friday morning from eight to nine on Talk Money. Of course, Talk Money is brought to you by. Shoemaker Financial, which has been providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service throughout the Mid-South since 1978. At Shoemaker, it is not about the plan. It's about the results. We're going to take a quick break, check on traffic and weather, see how the market is doing in New York with Market Watch, and we will be right back with Renee Victory from the MBA program of Union University Germantown Campus and Landon Mills, a former student and an excellent financial advisor. So stick around. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Well, we're talking with Renee Victory, campus director at Union University. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Keith Quinn. And, Renee, one of the things that I like about uh, Union University, it's for busy busy professionals that have full-time careers. Your classes do one evening per week. The students are typically taking one class, but if they do it, it's about a two-year program. But you can do it a little less than 14 months if you really get into it. That That is correct. You, we actually offer an accelerated option and all sorts of other customized options where if they double up, they can complete the program in as little as two months, I mean, two, two years. And two years is the normal, I'm sorry, 14 months if they do the accelerated. Right. And I allow hybrid options if you want to take an online class here and there. That's that's available also. Or You work with a student. Exactly. Totally you have some flexibility. Total, absolutely. Totally, totally customizable to meet the needs of whatever their travel schedule or work work study, whatever. Well, we said before we went to the break that uh, the number one reason that we brought Landon into the firm was he was an MBA graduate of Union University. I thought we went from that was the tipping point to now that's the number one reason. That's the number one reason. Okay. Yeah. That was was the number one. This is the only reason. Actually, his wife is the number one reason. Right, 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 sure. Beth's the key here. But uh, Landon, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, thanks for having me here. You know, one of the things, Landon, when we talk about the MBA program, uh, just uh, help me understand the the key being around going back to school, going back into that classroom mentality, uh, the experience of that, the, the whole idea of working hard and doing that kind of stuff. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, when I got back, uh, I, I did have that a little bit of trepidation when you, you think about going back to school. And I, I was at a point in my life that I felt like I needed to get a little bit more education. I thought it would put me in a uh, a little better spot. And I'll be honest with you, it was because of some of the classes I took in my MBA program that brought me to Shoemaker. It was it was there that I decided I wanted to get into this industry. Mm. I had some professors that really uh, spoke to me in a way that I thought I could make this a career. So, um, But getting back to the point of going back to school, it is, it is one of those things that's very tough. 
you think about getting back into the classroom and taking the time and the effort to, to go back to studying, and that's that was probably one of the more difficult things. But, you know, one of the reasons I liked the program at Union um, was the fact that it was very – cost effective it was the time the timing of it was very good as far as being able to work and go to class and you know the i knew some of the professors from my undergrad so the i'd had some relationships there so it just it made a lot of sense you know the good thing about it is it, it you know it, it was a chance for you beth had to be a part of that I sure. mean, it wasn't just something that sure. you had to get your family involved Renee, I know we had Dr. Westbrook here a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, of course, he is one of the professors and a very good friend of ours. Um, and he does a lot of work with nonprofits. And so would you kind of give us some idea what this nonprofit con- consultation is with that? And we only have a couple of minutes here. Right. In three of our 12 MBA classes, students get the opportunity to develop a strategic business plan for a nonprofit in the Memphis area, perhaps a muni- municipality or nonprofit business. And we've actually worked with over 20 nonprofits in the Memphis area, Make-A-Wish, Youth Visions, um, it's now under a different name, name, Mid-South Food Bank, Iris Orchestra, the list goes on and on. It's a very rewarding experience. Well, the key is it's an MBA program that steps into the community. You've been listening to Landon Mills and Renee Victory talking about Union University and, uh, boy, a great program. So stay with us. We'll be back next week. Keith, what we got? Well, next week, Jim, we've got Gene Harrison, Executive Director of Crossroads Hospice, and Jamie Cochran to talk a little bit about disability and long-term care. I want to thank Rusty Leonard for some great insights on the market, Francis Fortner, our guest coordinator, Art Frederick, our program director, Jeff Long, our compliance officer, Rebecca Brazier, who reads our Mid-South History Moments, and Drew Johnson, who writes her. Also, our production assistants, Katie Brashear and Eleanor Moskovitz. I'm Keith Quinn. And I'm Jim Shoemaker. Please join us next week when we'll help you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Keith Quinn are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.